0: where my handle is at Turkey Hitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 131, Turkey Season Questions and Answers. And I am your host, and the guy who this past week had a swing and a miss. So I broke my mid-season lull, my dry spell got rained on, and I told you last week that I found a turkey that was gobbling on one of my pieces of hunting property, and that I was going after him, and I did, and I found him, and he found me. Now this bird is on a piece of property that borders public land, and It's a 171 acre parcel, but it borders a national forest, which is tens of thousands of acres of public land. And this bird, there is no question in my mind, has played the game before, several times, on public land. Because I called him into a food plot, and I was not set up. I was actually not expecting him to come into the food plot when he did. And he walked into the food plot, he took about five steps into the field, looked at me, thought, uh, yeah, maybe not. Took a quarter of a turn away from me, took a quarter of a turn back to me, and I thought, okay, well, he's about to go into strut. He stops, looks my direction, and made up his mind that it wasn't worth the risk. He putted two times, and ran. I'm not talking turned and walked nervously and quickly away. He ran full speed the five steps off the field, and I shot just to make some noise, just to make sure that I scared him good enough. So, you know, I was not real happy about the miss. I was really more unhappy about the fact that I didn't go ahead and get set up. I was going to try to make one more move into the edge of the food plot. And I was actually waiting on him to gobble and let me know that he was still where he had been. But instead, he was not. He was where I wanted him to go. So, you know, there's about four or five things that I could have done differently in that hunt that could have turned it around and made it successful. One of them was being patient enough to let him kind of tell me what my next step needed to be. But I thought that I knew what my next step needed to be. I wanted to be sitting down on the edge of that food plot. And I probably could have been had I moved a little quicker. The other thing I could have done differently is instead of going directly to the food plot, I could have come into the other side of the food plot, actually have crawled pretty much up to the edge of it, Because of the terrain and the bushes, the briars and the honeysuckle that were growing along the edge of the field. And called to him from there. Another thing I could have done differently. As soon as I saw him, I could have started to slowly move the gun up. But instead, I thought that I was hidden well enough. Just being over on the edge of the road, tucked away in a few bushes. But it was like someone was standing up behind me, waving their arms and screaming at him. That joker took off as fast as I've ever seen a turkey take off. It was crazy. So the only good news from that hunt is that he lives for me to hunt him again. And as much of a hard time as I've had finding turkeys on my hunting properties, I'll take one even if he's been shot at and might be a little bit more call shy. Speaking of call shy, I'm going to touch on that a little bit in today's episode. But before I do, we are four days, 22 hours, one minute and 40 seconds away from the end of spring turkey season in Alabama. And of those four days left in Alabama, I'm skipping town. I may hunt one more day in Alabama and that's it. So Cameron and I are actually headed to North Carolina to hunt there for a few days. And I'm pretty excited about that. It'll be a good time. But I'm probably more excited about getting away from these Alabama turkeys. I'm not saying North Carolina turkeys are any easier, but these Alabama birds have flat whipped my rear end this year. I have not even sat down on very many birds to even have a hunt, and that's frustrating. But I kept going out, and I will continue to go out, and I will continue to chase turkeys because tomorrow is the day. Tomorrow may not be the day in Alabama, but tomorrow is the day. So as I mentioned, I'm skipping town, so the intro to today's show is going to be very brief, but here's what we're doing told you guys last week that I get a lot of questions from you guys once season starts and that I was going to do a special premium content episode well i decided because i've got some really good questions that i want to go ahead and answer some of these questions in a regular weekly episode because i feel like some of you guys out there listening to this probably have the same exact questions running through your mind or you've been faced with these scenarios, and you might need a little help getting through them. So we're going to jump right into this. Okay, first up is Devin Buckner. And Devin messaged me on Facebook, and he said, Andy, I'm new to your podcast, but I'm addicted. I can't get enough. I love turkey hunting, and anything to help me or anyone I know that can improve my turkey hunting knowledge. With that being said, I haven't listened to all the podcasts yet, so... I don't know if you had an expert yet on the subject of understanding turkey talk and what it all means. Why I am bringing that up is that I saw a video of a professional hunter, not naming any names, but he gave a tip I felt was false. It goes against everything I've ever been told or heard for myself. He claims that a cluck and a purr is the worst call to use in the turkey woods. His comparison to that is of a doe standing there blowing because she caught your wind or smelled your scent. What is your opinion on that? Well, Devin, man, that's the first time I've ever heard that in my life. A purr for a wild turkey is a call of contentment. That means that everything is perfect in that turkey's world. Turkey's purr probably... 90% of the time, and I think that it's a faint purr that we probably can't hear, even if they're 10 yards away from us. I think it's just a noise that they make to communicate with each other, and it's kind of that all-clear sign for the turkeys. A cluck is more or less a locator call, but turkeys do purr and cluck. Turkeys will often cluck as they walk through the woods to try to locate other turkeys. So, my opinion on whether or not a purr and a cluck is the worst call to use is absolutely not. I have killed turkeys by just making a cluck and had them come almost running in. And if you have a hen coming to your setup and she's acting a little nervous and you purr at her... That does wonders to calm her down. So I'm not sure who that professional hunter was that gave that terrible advice. But don't listen to it. Next up, Dan Patterson emailed and said, I'm still new to turkey hunting. I've been after it for three years. Last year, I finally actually saw birds in the woods. It's nice to have those small victories, isn't it, Dan? I still have never heard them. I hunt public land in Indiana. One turkey I saw was a giant T-Rex of a tom. When I saw him, I was driving and he was crossing the road. He disappeared within about five seconds. So my question is this. Do they keep to the same area year after year and keep an annual pattern? Should I go to where I saw that turkey and expect him to be anywhere in that area? Thanks for any help or advice you can offer. I appreciate your podcast. Dan, all things being equal to last season, that turkey should be in the same area. Now, all things being equal is likely, but not very likely. So if there's been any kind of a change to habitat, whether there's been some clear cutting nearby or even select cutting of timber nearby, or there's been a fire nearby, or there's been and don't laugh because it happens. A strip center or an apartment complex built nearby. Any kind of a change in habitat. Or if a bigger, badder bird is now in the area. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that that bigger, badder bird had to move into the area. But what it could mean is that the bird that you saw may be on his way down. He may not be as big and able to bully the other birds around like he did last year. And that three-year-old bird that was in the area last year that was getting bullied by this bird that you saw is now four years old, and maybe he's the dominant bird in the area and has run this other bird off. That's a possibility. Someone may have killed that turkey in the fall season or already in the spring season. Or that bird may have died of natural causes or gotten hit by a car or snacked on by a coyote or a bobcat, that's not very likely unless he got sick. Oh yeah, he could have gotten sick, but I guess that is a natural cause, isn't it? So there's a chance that that bird is still in the area, but just like we need to be doing all the time before every single season, we need to be doing our scouting. And that will help to tell us if there's still birds in the area and if that T-Rex of a tom is still in the area as well. Okay, next up is not really a question, but it's an email that is just too good not to read. And now I'm going to protect the name of the sender of this email, even though he may not mind me reading the email and his name on the show. But I don't want to tick him off. So we'll call him Alex. So Alex says... Andy, I am what you call a binge listener to your show, but now I am hooked and try to listen to every show. This past weekend, I called in my first gobbler, and I rushed the shot at 45 steps. I made every mistake possible that you and your guests talk about. I'm hunting in Bienville Parish, located in north central Louisiana. The terrain is different age pine plantations with hardwood streams that run between them. Pretty good habitat. This past weekend, as I'm walking and calling mid-morning around 10.30 a.m. on a fire break between the pines and the hardwood bottom, I have a gobbler cut me off. I was at a spot on the fire break that led up to a 90 degree turn to the left. I go ahead and set the decoy up in the middle of the fire break and in a panic slash hurry, sat down directly behind the decoy at 25 yards. I called again and he cut me off and was close. I knew not to overcall and let him seek me out. At this point, I quit calling and then looked up as he walked around the corner of the break. Perfect profile of him. Beard hanging, and I vividly remember the white head. I thought to myself, what the is that? I did not know what it meant until I listened to Vanderpool this morning talk about the sexual arousal of the turkey. Well, as soon as he saw the decoy, he stopped dead in his tracks, lowered his head and turned around. Again, Vanderpool said decoys in the woods would spook turkeys. At this point, I was not sure if the turkey saw me directly behind the decoy or not. I thought he was going to walk away because I did not know what the turkey body language means. Another rookie mistake. So as soon as he raised that head again, I pulled the trigger. I missed, or looked like, hit low and forward because all I saw was feathers puffing out. Whatever I did, the turkey had no problem flying away and out of my life forever. It still haunts me in my dreams. This all happened in about 10 minutes or less. So, to recap mistakes, I did not take the time to find a good initial place to set up. Used a decoy in the woods. Had no idea of body language. And the worst, not mentioned yet, I never patterned my gun. I never thought it really mattered. That is until I had the turkey in front of me. Turns out my pattern at 45 steps is low and left. And he says, but it sure was fun. Thanks for a great show. I'm no longer a binge listener, but a regular listener. So listening to the show regularly can help cut down on some of those mistakes that we make. But I'm going to tell you, I do this show every single week. I still make mistakes. So Alex, don't worry about the mistakes that you made. Learn from them that hunt is probably still going to give you nightmares, even five or ten years from now. Trust me on that one, I know. But, you've learned the lessons, and you got to move forward. I've got to tell you guys who are listening to the show that think that your gun shoots exactly where it's supposed to shoot, Because you shoot doves with it, or you shoot ducks with it, or geese, or whatever it is that you happen to shoot with that gun, when you take that choke out that you're using to shoot other game and you put a different choke in that gun, it very well can shoot in a different location than it does with your bird hunting choke in it. Pattern and sight in your shotgun. There really is no reason not to do that. All right. Next up is Donnie Carroll. Donnie emailed and said, confusion on opening day. Hi, Andy. I've been a fan of the podcast recently and been hunting for 21 years. However, yesterday was opening day of turkey season in Kentucky, and I had something strange happen to me and need advice. For starters, we had gobblers all around us. There were four on our hunting property, so we broke into two groups and parted ways. After settling down to our setup, the gobblers pitched down and went the opposite way. Typical, right? Yep, it is. No big deal. Wait them out. After two hours, we were convinced something went on. So slowly, we regrouped and moved on quietly, glassing as we moved. I'm going to read that again because I want you guys to hear that. Donnie's been turkey hunting for 21 years, and this is important. We can all learn from this. He said... So slowly we regrouped and moved on quietly, glassing as we moved. What that tells me, and it's a term we use very loosely, is that Donnie was hunting. Alright, I'm moving on. About 300 yards through the woods, we struck up a gobble in the edge of a field. My uncle made a suggestion to close the distance. As we did, more gobblers showed up. Soon, all the gobblers except two ended up in the field and were coming in after aggressive calling. Three had circled around me and my brother, and he shot at one missing it. I never stopped calling, and they slowly went back over the hill. Now it's day two, and there's no gobbling at all. Keep in mind, these are all mature birds. Do you think they just got educated, and what strategy do we need now? Donnie, I think that's something that we've either all experienced or will experience. And, no, I don't think that those birds were spooked or educated. You were calling as they were walking off, and they walked off slowly. So, they were spooked at the time. All they know is that they heard a hen calling, they were coming into it, they heard a loud noise, it made them uncomfortable, and they left. They're not going away forever. Those birds are likely there, and they're henned up. Or it could be that day number two is just not a good gobbling day. And that happens. So my recommendation is get back to that field. Put out a feeding hen, decoy with a jake or a strutting jake and be patient with them. Donnie, since you're hunting private property, those turkeys are so much less likely to get spooked or become call shy than birds on public property that are being called to every day and bust hunters walking through the woods every single day. So just get in there after those birds and good luck with them. Next up is John. So my buddy John Barone emailed me and said, Hey Andy, been a while since we chatted. Sounds like your turkey season is going well as of last week. Hope it continues. I have a question that you may be able to answer. I'm heading this spring to West Virginia, looking at a few regions considering the Monongahela. No decision made yet on that. And Maryland, focusing on a couple of western counties of the state, looking at state lands to hunt. Of course, any info you would like to share would be appreciated. But specifically, I believe you ran into some hard times in one or both of those states. Just curious if you can pass on some pointers of what to avoid if that was the case. So, John, I did run into problems in Maryland and West Virginia. My biggest problem in West Virginia is that My hands were tied by the outfitter that we were hunting with. So we were limited to hunting probably about 80 acres of what he claimed to have had was about 2,000 acres. And what I really think that he had was about 200 acres. That was our biggest problem in West Virginia. We were sold a bill of goods that I don't think the outfitter could deliver there are a bunch of birds in West Virginia right now. So go to West Virginia, make sure you call the biologists in the areas that you're looking at going and ask them all kinds of questions. What the hatch has been like the past few years, tell them you're from out of state and that you are on a quest to kill a turkey in every state that has turkeys and that you could use their help. If they know that you're not a local and that you're not likely to hunt there day in, day out, or come back and hunt every weekend for a solid month, they're probably more likely to share information with you. Also, call the game wardens or conservation officers in those areas and get information from them as well. Regarding Maryland, we saw a lot of turkeys in Maryland. Well, we saw a lot of turkeys in West Virginia too, but we saw a lot of turkeys in Maryland. But we were hunting very small parcels of land. And they had a lot of fields on them, a lot of ag fields. And it just was very difficult to get around on those properties because of the amount of fields. So I don't really know that I have much advice for you on Maryland. They do have a lot of turkeys right now as well. If you're going to be looking at hunting state land, the Western area of the state I don't think is as populated as heavily with turkeys as the eastern area of the state, but I could be wrong about that. That's something that you might want to ask a biologist in the area as well. Don't hesitate to go to either of those states and have confidence that you can kill a bird there. You can do it. We just had a little string of bad luck and made a bad decision and chose the wrong outfitter to go with in West Virginia. So, Good luck to you, John. Be careful in your travels, and don't forget to send me some pictures after you bag a bird in West Virginia and in Maryland. Okay, next is Darren Gresham. And Darren emailed and said, trouble getting a tom onto my property. Hi, Andy. First of all, I love the podcast. My question concerns hunting a specific gobbler on a small track of land that I live on in North Texas. I have a 60-acre farm that I live on, and I have a tom I have been seeing and hearing about 500 yards across my neighbor's field. He comes out of the wood line on the other side of a large horse pasture almost every evening. And I figured out it's a strut zone that he just loves. The problem is I cannot get permission to hunt it. I was able to call him in within 200 yards yesterday before he got hung up and would do nothing but gobble and strut. Then I had two jakes come into my decoy setup and he moved back out to over 400 yards away. The jakes were not gobbling or strutting. I've also had him do the same thing in the same spot when no jakes were there, and I had no decoys out. I assume he's wanting me to come to him, which wouldn't be as bad if I had permission to hunt that property. Do you have any suggestions on what I can try to do to get him to move that last couple hundred yards to get to me? Should I gobble at him? I do have four other properties I can hunt, but this bird has me fired up enough that I just want to hunt him. Okay, so Darren, man, I've been struggling with the same thing myself this year. So one thing that I did this year that actually worked and started to bring some birds in across the property line from my neighbor's property onto mine was I gobbled at them. And every time they gobbled, I gobbled. And now they ended up coming in quietly and I ended up spooking them. And I think I told that story a couple of weeks ago on the show. But gobbling challenges a turkey and can get them to come in a lot of times when nothing else will work. Don't try that on public land. But I know you're hunting private land, so that's not an issue. So my guess as far as what happened with the jakes is this you probably have more than two jakes roaming around your property and your neighbor's property. And it could be that if you've got four or six or eight jakes that have been running together, even if it was just early season and they've split up some now, it could be that this bird has gotten beaten up enough to where when he saw that jake, he got out of town. Now, that makes using a decoy very difficult. So if you're going to use decoys for that bird, if that's what's happened to him, and it may not be, but if that's what's happened to him, I would try using a lone hen. Now, you may have difficulty getting that bird to come in without a decoy, especially if you can see him from 500 yards away. He can see you from 500 yards away, and he knows there's no hen there, so that's going to make things difficult as well. So, what do you do? Well, try gobbling. I don't know that that's going to work with him. Again, if he's getting beaten up by jakes, cobbling is probably not going to be the ticket for him. A lone hen decoy may work. No decoys I don't think is going to work. I would not use a jake decoy at all. So what do you do? Well, you hope that one day he ends up roosted on your property and you can catch him that way. Another thing that you can do And this is legal in Texas. I don't know if it's legal in any other states or not, but juice up the corn feeder and get him coming into your property more frequently. What I've got to do to get birds on my hunting properties for next season is I've got to make my hunting properties more attractive than the neighbor's hunting properties. So what does that mean? That means I've got chufa seed in a box in my basement waiting to be planted. I was going to plant it mid-season, but have had some tractor issues, so on and so forth, and I've not gotten a chance to get it in the dirt yet, but it's going to happen the first week in May. I'm going to have chufa on two of my hunting properties, if not three of my hunting properties. The other thing I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be planting grain sorghum, and I'm going to be leaving a lot of that grain sorghum standing. I'm going to be doing some burning on my property again this year getting birds to come in there. I am going to make sure that I've got enough food sources on my hunting properties to get turkeys into those hunting properties and keep them there. And that starts now and it starts in the fall as well. So I know that doesn't help you this year, but it can make a huge difference for you next year. And if you do it and you do it right, you may find that you don't have just your neighbor's bird that you've been watching all season on your property, but you may have two or three more. It's 60 acres. It's not the biggest piece of property in Texas by any means, but there's no reason why you can't keep birds there by making your habitat better than your neighbor's. All right. Next up is Corey. Corey from Baltimore, to be exact. And Corey says, love the podcast. This will be my fourth year hunting turkey and hopefully my first successful. I'm putting some pretty high expectations on myself. I've been spending tons of time scouting my local public lands and have gotten onto some turkey sign that I think will prove to be very productive the spring season for me here in Maryland. My question today, however is about the late spring turkey hunt specifically for Miriam's turkeys in Colorado. My sister-in-law lives out there and my wife wants to take a trip to visit her. I see that will be in the last weekend of the spring season out there and I'm planning to bring my gear with me for an overnight camp in the mountains. And he says he's hunted out there for elk but never for turkey. My question to you is what spring season tactics should I utilize to put myself in range of a bird? I've done a fair amount of studying, but have not read anything too specific on how turkeys' patterns change throughout the hunting season. At that late stage of the season, will they still be responding to calls? If they're not responding to calls, but I've gotten reports that turkeys are definitely in the area, is a slow-moving spot-and-stalk an appropriate method to hunt these mountain birds? Also, I wanted to ask how hunting the different subspecies changes from region to region. Do Merriams and Easterns not respond in the same way? Or do they all mostly act similar at comparable times of the year? Hope to hear back. Keep it up with the podcast. Stumbled across it a month ago and have been going through episodes like crazy. I've gotten two of my hunting buddies to jump on board as well. Love the wisdom and experience your guests bring to the show. Audio needs a little improvement. Yep, it does. But otherwise, fantastic and educational podcast for guys like myself. Corey, great questions. So, I'm actually going to be presented with the same issues myself here in the next couple of weeks. So late season hunting out West is really not too much different than late season hunting at home for most of us in the respect that gobbling turkeys are a little bit more difficult to find and we have to burn a little bit more shoe leather to find them. But when we do, most of the time, they're pretty lonely and they're pretty responsive to calling. So I actually like late season hunting and I like late season hunting for Merriam's because a lonely Merriam's is a beautiful thing. So your question about what spring season tactics should you utilize to put yourself in range of a bird? You need to look for the snow melt in the mountains. Get to that snow melt, stay in that area and you should find turkeys. Now, if the snowmelt has moved all the way up the mountains and the mountain is free of snow, then you're going to have to burn some shoe leather, like I said. Get up to the top of those mountains and call and see what kind of response you get. You should be able to find some fresh sign out in those areas where the turkeys have been scratching and hanging out. So hopefully you won't have too much of a difficulty locating birds. But you also may want to call the biologist or the game warden or conservation officer in that area and find out what elevation they're finding the majority of the turkeys at that time that you're going out there. So call them about a week or so before you leave because a lot of these COs and a lot of these biologists are out of their offices a great deal and they're hard to get in touch with. So give yourself about a week to hear back from them and be persistent. Call them. Give them a couple of days to respond. If they don't respond, call them again. Give them a couple of days. They don't respond. Call them again and tell them you're coming out there. You're on the plane, and as soon as the plane lands, you're going to the woods, and you need to hear from them ASAP, please, and see if they won't get in touch with you. Okay, so your next question. If the turkeys are not responding to calls, but you've gotten reports that the turkeys are definitely in the area, is a slow-moving spot and stalk an appropriate method to hunt these mountain birds? Yes, 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 absolutely yes, it is. It's effective, and if they're not gobbling, that's about your only choice. Because the way that Merriams travel, if you're just going to sit down and try to blindly call in a Miriams turkey, they may have left the area a week ago. And if they have, and you're trying to blind call a Miriams turkey, you're not going to have very much luck. Okay, so your next question. Do Merriams and Easterns not respond in the same way, or do they all mostly act similar at comparable times of the year? there are differences between Merriams and Easterns in the way that they act and the way that they respond to calls. So I think your question is probably more related to turkeys being henned up early season and the gobblers being together and then kind of breaking out of their gobbler groups and getting with hens early in the season and having a flock of 10 or 12 hens. And then from that point, the hens start to get bred and feel the urge to nest so they hang out with the gobbler for a little while during the day and then they slip off to sit on the nest. That's your mid-season and then late season is you've got lonely gobblers running around looking for love in all the wrong places, we hope. So in that respect, if that's your question, then yes, they're going to be doing about the same thing as Easterns. And like I said, when I started answering your question, that time of year, they should be pretty lonely and they should be looking for love and you should be able to have some success out there. Okay, the last question for the day is from Justin Parr. And Justin says, I've been listening to your show since early last year and have listened multiple times to most episodes. I'm primarily a self-taught hunter, so your stories and information have been tremendous to my turkey hunting game. I tagged for my home state of Kansas during the archery season, but am now hunting Missouri gobblers with a shotgun. I've run into a handful of clever gobblers that are holed up between a river and two creeks. One is more of a drainage ditch, but it is currently full of water, leaving a thickly wooded area for entrance. The area is adjacent to a large agricultural field, but I've never seen any evidence of the toms in the field, although I've spotted the occasional hen track. The toms gobble all morning in the same area. There are a couple of areas deep in that area where they roost that must be where they're flying down and strutting. I have definitely heard hens early in the morning with them as well. It looks like a difficult spot to quietly approach in the dark, at least with the way the woods are right now. And he has in parentheses very green and leafed out. Unfortunately, you also can't move down the field and sneak in as the drainage ditch is far too deep and wide to cross right now. Rarely. Do we have birds that aren't interested in fields here, even on public ground? Even if the birds were to fly across the river, they would be right at a road that seems unlikely they'd be crossing. I can only imagine they're spending the majority of their time in a small area. How would you advise hunting these birds? Any tips on moving through vegetation before light? I was thinking I'd get in extra early, but I'm weary of using a light to see. But I'm afraid otherwise I'll be busting into too much brush. Man, Justin, that's a situation that I think a lot of us have run across at some point in time in the woods. So I'm going to kind of work backwards here. Any tips on moving through vegetation before light? You say, I was thinking I'd get in extra early, but I'm weary of using a light to see. So when I am in an area where... I need to use a flashlight before daylight. I like to use a very small little pin light, something that doesn't put out a whole bunch of light and have a really, really bright beam and it gives just enough light a couple of feet in front of me, four, five, six, eight feet in front of me for me to be able to see where I'm going. Now, if you have to use the light, I do recommend that you get in there early, a minimum Minimum of an hour before it even starts to crack dawn. Or you can wait until we have a full moon and move into the area at that time. Another way that you can get into the area without hopefully making a lot of noise is, and it's not very fun, to go while it's raining. Or if you catch the tail end of a front that comes through and we've gotten rain overnight, you should be able to get in that area pretty quietly the next day after the rain has stopped. Okay, so I'm going to talk about access a little bit more here. Do you have access to a boat? If you do, try to approach the turkeys by river. Or if you have access to a canoe or a kayak to cross that drainage ditch, then you may want to try that. Now, if you do try that, of course, be careful. Getting in and out of a boat from the woods to the water in the dark can often be a little tricky, so be sure you wear your PFD when you're doing that, but accessing that area by water is quiet and you're coming in from a completely different direction. And if those turkeys are being hunted by other hunters since it's public land, that can often give you a leg up. I have killed a bunch of turkeys by approaching from a different area than the turkeys have been approached all season long. Okay. If you don't want to try any of that, then I would recommend setting up some trail cameras along the field edge to see if and when those turkeys may be coming into the field. If they're coming in, then you'll know when and where. Of course, again, if this is public land, you run the risk of your cameras getting stolen or broken or your cards being taken out of the cameras. But you can lock most cameras now to keep your card from getting stolen. But that doesn't mean somebody's not going to steal your camera. So... You may want to try to figure out a way to make it very difficult for someone to take your camera out of there. If those gobblers are using the field, then you know what to do. You just need to be in there at the time that they come in. Of course, hunting Missouri, I think the cutoff is one o'clock. So you're going to have a limited time that you can get out there and do that and wait on them. But that would be my recommendation. And I would look long and hard at trying to find a kayak or a canoe or a boat to approach those turkeys from the river or from either the creek or the drainage ditch. You can use that kayak to get across that drainage ditch and you can get into that area pretty quietly. You'd be a winner. Justin, I hope that's helped you. If not, shoot me another email and then I'll pass my phone number along and we can chat and see if we can come up with a way that might be able to help you out a little bit more. But try that out. See if it works. And if it does, don't forget to send me that picture of you with your trophy gobbler. Okay, guys, that's all that I've got for you this week. But I do have one favor that I'm going to ask of you. If you would please like and share and retweet the link to this week's episode on Facebook and Twitter, I would very much appreciate that. And if you guys who are listening have any questions and you want some help with anything, Shoot me an email, andy at iamturkeyhunting.com. I will do everything I can to try to help you out. I've been pretty slow about responding to emails for the past five and a half weeks, but it is turkey season. And now that that's about to end for me, I probably will have a little bit more time to respond a little bit quicker. So thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Good luck, be safe, and goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics,